This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Good morning, good morning. It is two minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. You're on 3RRR. This is Radio Marinara. I'm Anthony Bokshaw. And I'm Bron Burton. How are you, Bron? I'm still recovering. I was going to (laughs) say. The one point. I know. It's it's so funny broadcasting on Sunday a full week after the Community Cup. And I know... you still talk about it. Well, for people out there listening, they're probably going, you know what, we've had a whole week of this now. (laughs) True, true. Can we just move on? No. We don't get to do that, though. It's our first (laughs) time. It's all about us. Yeah. Yeah, great day. The one point. Great day. Huge. Oh, I wonder, you know, did you at any point, you know, swirl the jacket, the red jacket? Do oh, a bit of sheedy? like Sheedy style? No, <laughs> actually I should have. <laughs> I just ran straight into the middle of the ground carrying the giant head of Paul Chapani, <laughs> very own spiritual advisor, um, at the end. And it was, you know, oh, God, it was great. For one point. Yeah. Yeah, it's that one that you savour those victories. That's it. And um, it came down with a cold like 24 oh, hours no. afterwards. But half the, like, all over social media, um, people involved did the same. I think we all just kind of held it together right until the last <laughs> possible second. And then all we all just kind of, you know, physically fell apart. And it's also the end of school term and everyone will be doing that too. Yeah. 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 Anyway, what a great day. <laughs> Is there anything? else you'd like to reminisce about it just oh no no. (laughs) not really it was just fabulous moment where you thought it turned oh yeah Yeah. like three minutes before the siren when (laughs) megahertz kicked a point and put us in front for the first time all day well since the first quarter but it was um it was just fantastic that the spirit was wonderful um there were we had a nudie run um (laughs) in the third quarter oh well there's been um so if you're listening and this is new for you there's uh about three years ago some new legislation actually made it yes so I forgot about that. Yeah, yes. made it um, not legally possible to do the, th- the traditional third yeah, quarter yeah, nudie yeah. run, despite the fact, and this was the 25th Community Cup as well. And I um, reckon probably 23 of those or two of those oh, well, have yeah. been that tradition. Like yeah. It's like it's been, you know, it's always been the way. So uh, it was it was great and some wonderful campaigning by um, EBL, Emma Buckley-Lennox, um, in the last week. Um, to Minister Richard Wynne basically saying, you know, come on, dude, we've been doing this forever. And um, and the response back was, well, if no one complains, you I know. I love that. It was a wonderful, pragmatic approach to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, the yeah. joy, like just the, the <laughs> sounds of joy when the two streakers ran on in the third quarter. It was just like, oh, right, the balance has been restored. We've got our community cut back again. So it was just, I love it. it was so good. Can you just imagine being in that minister's office getting that? That letter? Yeah. Please let it. Please Excuse let our streakers streak. Uh, Twenty five years worth of streaking. We'd like to streak. <laughs> Pretty much. Just like, come on, let's get pragmatic about this. So, um, but no, Albo, Albo was there in in full glory, and yeah. Um, yeah, even even Albo was kind of applauding the nude run. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the Channel Thirty One um, coverage no, uh, broadcast on Friday evening at eight o'clock, and yeah. um, I'm sure it will be broadcast again at some point. But um, yeah, very happy Albo at the end going. It even had a nudie run. <laughs> Love it. Oh, sensational. So, you are on Radio Marinara. Mm. This is not Radio Footy-Rama. Community Cup-Rama. Uh, community Cup-Rama. Well, there, there we go. We've got to have a system, though. So, hey, we've got, to, we've got to thank Tim. Yes. And, of course, Andrew. That was the 100th episode of yeah. Soft Bits. Awesome. Congratulations, mm. Andrew, very much. Big, big effort. And, of course, Tim has, you know, surpassed himself again. 
How does he keep doing that? How does he just, the, the bar just keeps going up higher we every love time. We love Tim. You can catch Tim next week on Final Bits, 6am on Saturday. Big show. Uh, Fom's in. We're going to talk plastics. There's whales everywhere. Yes, we're going to catch up with Dave Donnelly. Uh, I'm not sure where he is, but he's been out on the water pretty much every day following humpback and southern right, right whale migrations. Uh, so, yes, it's we're well and truly into whale watching season it's, now. Yeah, and they're all over the place. Ken mm. said he turned on his shower this morning and one came out. They're just <laughs> whales wherever you look at the minute, so whatever. Um, um, and then... Oceans Protect? Yes, Ocean Protect. We're going to talk about it was uh, World Oceans Day on the 8th of June, a couple of weeks ago now. And we're going to be speaking with Jeremy Brown about he. They put out a press release saying, here are nine key reasons why we should be protecting our marine environment. So we all know intuitively it's what we should be doing. We should be acknowledging the threats and the problems that exist and, and really working hard to try and address these. Why? We yeah. all know intuitively why. So there are nine reasons that, oh. that they've come up oh, with going, oh. okay, look, let's, this is, you know, when you huh. when you have that conversation with people and they don't kind of get it, you, you'd hope that everyone would, but, you know. No, it surprises me too. Here are the nine reasons why. So okay. It's cool. cool. Uh, and then after that, Dr. Beth Strain from the University of Melbourne is going to talk about eco-engineering. First of all, we'll find out what that is, even though we've touched on it over the years, but we'll, this particular version of it. How about some weather? Let's do that. We've got the rustle happening. Russell's in the studio. 15 today. It's going really? to be sunny. It was actually, I went to the footy yesterday, not to talk about the result, um, devastating as it was. I don't know where, by the way, just as an aside. You back for the wrong team, that's why. Well, you, you and I have had this conversation <laughs> and, and I, I think that's not right. But it's okay. Given your team beat mine the other week, I, I oh, thought yes. you did really well last month when we were on and you didn't mention that. <laughs> and it was the night before and I thought, oh, thank God I got through the whole show. Um... Where do these, like, West Coast supporters come from? There's, like, like half the people at the MCG yesterday were West Coast supporters. Like, do they, do they exist in, like, little tiny communes in Melbourne were, hidden away? Were there only 2,000 people there? <laughs> no, there was 30,000. I'm serious. They were making huge matters. It was great to see. It was great, you know, that both sides had supporters. But yeah. anyway, sorry, weather. <laughs> We promised one week to be quick. Uh, 15, partly cloudy, slight chance of a shower in the early morning uh, and winds northwesterly to 30 kilometres an hour, turning northerly 20 to 25 in the evening. Tomorrow, 15 as well, partly cloudy and a shower or two on s Tuesday, top oh. of 16. Huh. Partly cloudy for the rest of the week and temperatures hovering around 15, 16, 17 and then 18 on Saturday. No. That's not right. It's middle of winter. We should be down to 12s and 13s. And it's overnights. very warm winter. I'm noticing overnight. So, like, mm. you know, almost double figures, like nines. I love it. Yep, all the way through the week, eight, nine, oh. the occasional six. But Who stole know. Melbourne? Yeah. <clears throat> Worries me what this is going to mean when we move into spring and we haven't really had a proper winter. But anyway, we'll see. I'm waters, mm. if you're heading out on the waters to whale watch, maybe surf. <laughs> you could just do it in your bathroom. Maybe yeah. get an ice cream headache if you want to go diving. Oh, it can't be that. I think it must still be about 13. Last I heard was 13 yeah. in the bay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the <laughs> then again, that's not that warm. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like it's warmer out than in, which is... Very strange for this time of the year. Uh, Point Lonsdale, uh, high tide at 9.24 and then a low tide oh. at 2.24 this afternoon. You want to get out there now for a drift? Yeah. And uh, surf forecast, according to Swellnet, and always with the caveat that this was printed some time ago, if you want an up-to-date surf forecast, go to swellnet.com. 
um, westerly tending nor'westerly gales. Moderate swells are only favouring surf coast for average waves. Water oh. temperature is 14. Ooh. So we had it That's last. That's outer coast. Yeah, outer coast. <gasps> Phillip Island, nothing to recommend today. Mornington Peninsula, <laughs> too windy for open beaches, too small for Western Port. Give it a miss. <laughs> Just go and watch the whales. <laughs> surf coast, inconsistent, windy surf to one metre at Bells Beach and Winky Pop. <laughs> Give it a miss. I love it. Never they're seen get, that before. They're getting more and more plants. Give it a miss. Oh, just forget it's not Go back dead. to bed. Yeah. Listen to Triple R all day. Do yourselves a favour. Hey, without further ado, we are welcoming for her monthly segment, Plastic Literacy from Sharko. Good morning, Fom. Good morning, everyone. Hey, How's it going? Pretty good. And happy nearly plastic-free July. Yes. Tomorrow. Yes. The kickoff. You have 12 hours to prepare. Now, plastic-free, <laughs> are we talking about single-use, reusable yeah, plastics? Yeah, we We're are. not talking about, because I've got my little keep cup sitting yeah. here next to me. Yeah, oh, great. We're allowed, to, we're allowed to use these? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Plastic-free July is a, is a challenge that started just to get people to reduce single-use plastic, you know, yeah. that stuff that we really don't need to use, and that is is the biggest challenge for the environment and the oceans at the moment. Yeah, yeah. great. Oh, that's good, because I'm thinking pretty much, I'm thinking about my clothes that have probably got some kind of plastic component. Oh, I, mean, I was going to say I'm wearing, fibre, you know, like microfiber. I'm sure yeah. that's, and I know about, you know, what it does and how it sheds, et cetera. Yeah, and like, you know, when you're a vegan, people go like, oh, i got vegan shoes or a vegan leather jacket. It's like, yeah, that's a plastic jacket. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's good to be aware of all this stuff. It really well, is. A couple of years back, sorry, just we, we went into an op shop, my partner and I, and we were looking for a, a nice kind of vinyl or leather jacket. And the woman was like, oh, no, no, not that one. Not the one. This one. This is real vinyl, not leather. Real vinyl. Uh. <laughs> well, plastic was sexy once upon yes. a time. It really was. You know, it was the, the, the next best thing, fancy colours, things like that. Yeah. And then we kind of, you know, we just have shot a ourselves it's in the like, foot with that. It's just like what we do, isn't it? We're humanity and we kind of go, take it too far. Yeah. All right. So plastic literacy. We're talking about Plastic Free July. Yeah. So Plastic Free July started a number of years ago in Western Australia. It was originally a uh, an initiative that a council developed and uh, it kind of grew from there because people really got on board with it. And now it's got over a million participants, uh, not just from Australia, but from other places in the world as well, mm. uh, doing it every year. And uh, personally, I think it's way more fun than doing Dry July. <laughs> it's also a bit more of a challenge. Um, so the idea is that for the whole month of July, you try and not use any single-use plastic. Now, that is actually quite as daunting as it sounds because mm. it's it's nearly impossible to do it, um, especially when you're doing it for the first time. I'm in my fifth year now, so I yeah. have no excuse. But if you if you want to get on board for the first time, I kind of just prepared sort of like the the, the top three tips that I can give you to uh, uh, to get started with it. So the this first is perfectly one, timed because my daughter has decided we're doing it. Oh, great! And we were, and we were, Good and she her. and I were just having a conversation as we were like, the, we don't put there's no plastic except for the lunchbox. There's no plastic in the lunches. As we we're talking about how do we do this, we're kind of going, oh, well, what about this? Are we allowed to, you know? Try, so I'm, I can't wait to hear how I'm going to survive. This. <laughs> Well, the first thing is what I like to call the plastic-free July paradox. Um, <laughs> first of all is you cannot fail plastic-free July. 
you can't fail it. So really? right, yeah. And don't don't make don't make it feel like if you're using accidentally using a piece of plastic, don't say, oh, I just failed plastic free July. Yeah. Okay. Because it's not going to help you get through the month. Yeah. With an attitude like that. Because I'm thinking the pen that I'm holding at the moment <gasps> would immediately fail me. It's a standard pen that I can only use once. Exactly. Because once once I've finished and it's and how does that make months, you feel? Like you think we I'm haven't guilty. even started plastic free July yet, and you feel like you've already failed. That's so right. that is not an option okay. Okay, and good, because obviously every piece of single-use plastic that you're not using in July you're already winning right and yeah. the environment's okay. already winning so but the paradox is that you cannot pl- fail plastic free July but you also shouldn't expect to make it through to the end of the month without using any single-use plastic yeah right so people set the bar of their expectations really high and then when they don't make it or they use one piece of plastic they feel like a failure and that's not what it's about Mm. right so it is about reducing as much as you can and becoming really conscious of those pieces of single-use plastic that you use that you actually don't need so you know go easy on yourself especially if it's your first time so that would be my first tip the plastic free july paradox you cannot fail, but you will use single-use plastic by the end of the month, and you just okay. got to accept that and, and be mindful of it. it, and then think about how exactly. next time it would be different. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So it's a learning process, yep. really. And um, my second tip would be: don't compare yourself to others. <coughs> really. Thank you. There are people. <laughs> Like, for example, Erin Rhodes, the rogue ginger, um, who live a plastic-free lifestyle. And they, she's got, like, all of the single-use plastic she's used in the last three or four years in one mason jar. Wow. wow. I mean, if you're going to compare yourself to that legend... It's a really big jar? Uh, no, it's, it's a, a tiny jar. jar. It's a tiny jar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're going to compare yourself to somebody who has been on the journey for more than five or six, seven years or yeah, a decade... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, that's not really helpful. It's so interesting, gotta, isn't it? It comes down to perception, whether you see that person as inspiring or... Uh, daunting. Or daunting, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Oh, she is, yeah. but it's totally inspiring because you can see where it can go. But Erin didn't start with zero plastic mm-hmm. straight off the bat, right? That was a process that took her several years. Yeah. So is the thing to do is when you start to kind of doubt yourself is to go to Woolies or Coles to the fruit department and look at what other people are doing. Mm. And yep. then you go, oh, wow. I'm, but oh, just wow, at the checkout, you yeah. know, you can yeah. see what people okay. have in plastic. So so meet yourself and your friends if you're doing it with other people. Meet yourself where you are at. Okay. Right. So for me, I'm doing this for the fifth year in a row. I'm pretty strict on myself. Right. But if you're doing it for the first time, give yourself a break. Like just just do what you can with what you have in the yep. moment and see what you can do better next year. Cool. So that would be my second tip. This is like coaching. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> you know, you're going to be tested at the end of I July. Yeah, you've yeah, got to bring in all of yeah, your single-use plastics you've used. Oh. And the third tip I would say uh, has to do with bringing stuff in at the end of the month uh-huh. is at the end of the month, evaluate what you have learned. Like really take a moment and sit down. What I like to do, the, the first three years I did it, I, I kept all of my single-use plastics that I accidentally used in Plastic Free July and I spread out my stash at the end of the month on the table and I was looking at every single piece and thinking how did I get this where did it go wrong and how can I prevent getting it next time yeah Right, so that kind of evaluation, and also you feel really good about yourself because mm. there is not idea. a lot of plastic on the table at the end of the month if you really get into it. 
And it's really, really stimulating and really, um, really great to see how much you can actually do. You'll be it's surprised. Also good, it's great for the, the house conversation mm. too. Absolutely. Okay, so we're, we're not using any, but if we do accidentally, we're popping it over here in this box and we're going to look at it at the end of the month and yeah. work out. Don't beat yourself up over it. Treat it as a, okay. as a learning experience and see what you can do better next year. Because Plastic Free July is not... It, it's not really about not using single-use plastics. It's all about getting a behavior change going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's the secret. That's the secret weapon of Plastic Free July. After 21 to 30 days, that's how long it takes to learn a new behavior or mm-hmm. unlearn another behavior. So if you are super aware of what you're doing for 30 days, and you make sure that every time you go out, you put that keep cup in your in your bag, or you always have Bring your a reusable. Bottle, yeah, yeah. yeah, you always have your reusable bags. You know in your car for shopping if you do that religiously every day for a month then that will have become a new behavior do you know the one that catches me is the buying the stuff at the supermarket that comes pre-wrapped not i don't do the fruit one fruit and veg one i thought i can't look at a cucumber and go i'm pretty sure you've got a skin i don't need you having another <laughs> yeah, that's skin right. but the you know like just i don't know let me think bread rolls at a supermarket come in a plastic bag. That's a single-use plastic bag unless you empty it out and then use it for fruit at the market or whatever. Yeah. But you kind of go, there's a there's an embedded kind of plasticness in some of the products that Absolutely. are daily products. And you don't really think about it until you do something like yeah. Plastic Free July and you realise mm, yeah. it. So so my solution for that was, okay, I'm just going to go to a bakery exactly, and I'm going to ask yeah. for these rolls in a paper bag. And yeah. you've got to be really proactive about it, right? So I will go to the, uh, the larger supermarkets and get something from their section because if I want cheese or something mm. then it's really hard to not get it in plastic so I go to the deli section I come there with my <laughs> with my Tupperware containers awesome. and I have this you kind of have to have this um you know, don't stuff with me kind of attitude, but also friendly and forward where, <laughs> where the, the people don't have time to think about it. And you just say, hi, can I have, you know, some of this? And can you please not wear that plastic glove and use tongs? Thanks. I'm doing Plastic Free July. Ah. And be, so be really proactive about it. And I've never been turned down in any of the big supermarkets with my with my boxes. I've never thought of doing that. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to do this. And, you know, if it doesn't, if it's too hard to do it in supermarket, go to a smaller trader. Yeah, because yeah, the, the small yeah. butchers, the fishmongers, the people who, fr- who sell fruit and veg, they are really open to this kind of lifestyle. And yeah. I have never been turned down with my box. I mean, I've, I've gotten a few weird glances, but also, when you explain it, people and, understand. And with small businesses too, the, the, that's a cost base. I mean, Absolutely. giving away all that plastic is, it, it, there's a, I know it's a cost base for the supermarkets, but it's lost in their kind of margins. Yeah. For a small business with the smaller margins, it's actually, they're kind of going, oh, good, okay, I don't have to give out as much. Exactly. And, and I really loved it because it actually got me, doing Plastic Free July got me out of the big supermarket, looking mm. for alternatives and then supporting my local small mm. businesses. And it was Plastic Free July that got me there because, you know, I was lazy beforehand and just kind of like went to the supermarket. But um, yeah, just meeting your local butcher, meeting your local fishmonger um, and, and building that relationship. It's, uh, yeah, it's just really good for the, you know, for awesome. the social vibes. I think sometimes it's conditioned as well. So it's not even necessarily a laziness. It's more just like, this is what we've done. This is, this is yeah. part of the routine. And it's like you're saying, you change that behavior and you do it for a month 
we're changing our behaviours all the time. Like even you think right back to you know, people, our vintage and the introduction. <laughs> you mean young of, people. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, introduction of curbside recycling. Yes. You know, there's always something yeah. that, you know, even um, supermarkets not handing out plastic bags for free. You know, people whinged and complained about it and then finally. Yeah, it's it takes accepted. two months and then you don't hear about it exactly, anymore. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's that behaviour change. I feel armed. I'm ready to go. I know you are. I'm Bring in your go. plastic I'm at the gonna, end of I'm, next yeah, month. We're going to do that. We'll we're have a look at that. it. Scarlett, if you're listening, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fantastic. It's perfect because I've been wondering, about how are we going to do this? Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks for coming. All right. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to let you test me at the end, though, because I'll be too early. <laughs> the first time. It's the first time. It's gonna, I'm going to get this wrong. 3 R Radio Marinara is the name of this program. We talk about all things wet and salty, as does Dave Donnelly. Expect especially the large things that live in it. Oh, that was smooth. Good morning, Dave. <laughs> nice one. Are you there, Good Dave? Good morning, everyone. <laughs> oh, great to have you here. Whales, whales, whales. They're everywhere. They are certainly on the move, that's for sure, around our coastline. Uh, so um, putting things in context for our listeners, you represent Killer Whales Australia, but you're not um, just focused on orcas. You do a whole lot of work with the Dolphin Research Institute as well. Um, and next weekend we're actually going to be uh, chatting to you live from Phillip Island with the Whale Festival, uh, the Island Whale Festival. I always mash up the name of this festival. <laughs> um, but we thought we'd just talk to you about the whales that are doing the rounds at the moment because I've seen a tonne of stuff on social media, um, even mainstream media in the last week. What's been happening with um, migration patterns of, of our beautiful whales? Well, it looks as though we've really kicked into the season in the last uh, sort of week and a half to two weeks. We've, we've been seeing a lot more humpback whales passing through the waters, and we've also had a few southern right whales showing up in the two bays mm. region, which are at the peak of their migration, not actually passing through, so they're sort of hanging around our coastline. In fact, 13th Beach the other day, I was down there, and there was two southern right whales about 300 metres off the uh, off the beach and uh, just beyond them, two humpbacks went past. So it's been pretty lively lately. Wow. And, and, and for those that don't know, they are seriously big whales, aren't they, Dave? Yeah, the, the southern rights are a bit bigger than the, the humpback whales. They're certainly a bit broader and uh, and a bit longer, maybe a couple of metres longer. And, uh, and the ones that uh, sort of occur in our southeastern waters around Victoria and Tasmania and southern New South Wales in fact, part of a subpopulation which is only between 275 and 400 individuals left. So uh, very, very much uh, eyes on those guys, uh, critically endangered under the Victorian um, uh, uh, Victorian classification. So this is good news? This is a, the, so, so the fact that we're seeing them more means there's more of them or they're just kind of feeling like they can come closer? What, what's your gut feel? Uh, with the southern right whales, we're definitely seeing them more, but we're seeing the same ones hmm. often. Uh, so they quite often hang around the same areas or move up and down the coast backwards and forwards. So we're seeing the same animals repeatedly, whereas the humpbacks, we're seeing new animals pretty much every day uh, with their population up around the 36,000 mark now. That's really great. And um, Dave, I was wondering, have you seen any calves yet? Is, is Warrnambool happening already with the southern white whales or do we have to wait a few more months? No, I believe there was a calf born just this last week uh, to a well-known female who returns to uh, Logan's Beach and around Warrnambool every uh, three or so years, three or four years. So she had a calf this week, the first of the season. Oh, fantastic. You know, that was the first ever whale I saw in, in Warrnambool. And uh, it was a whale with a calf, maybe even the same one. Who knows? Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's wonderful. Um, we were very excited last time we spoke with you about orcas that were showing up around the heads. Um, do we have any? Have we had any more sightings of orcas? Uh, there were some killer whales out to the west. Um, there was an entangled humpback whale out off Portland uh, about a week ago, the 26th, I think it was, and uh, two hum- uh, sorry, three killer whales were very close to that entangled humpback. Um, and also, just a bit further west again, there was a, a, another two at Kangaroo Island. So the killer whales are certainly making their way along that uh, southern fringe of our coastlines as well. And just for information, the, the humpback whale disentangled itself when mm. the response team were present. Oh, that's really good to know. Not good that it was entangled in the first place, but um, good to know that it was. And the humpback, you, the, the humpback would have been there tangled. The killer whales would have been going, okay, here we go, smorgasbord. Um, <laughs> did the, what's the kind of, you know, when the entangled one's there, is the, is the decision to disentangle because it's a, it's a human intervention that's entangled them? Because ordinarily if you had a whale in distress, you know, killer whales would come in and they'd clean it up, you know, effectively. Um, but but, but do, do we as humans, do we intervene in those moments when to disentangle? For disentanglement, when it's to do with things like um, commercial fisheries and other things like that, yes, yeah. there's an obligation there to intervene because it's, a, it's an anthropogenic impact. So we need to try and reverse that if it's at all possible, particularly with southern right whales being such low numbers. So, yeah, you're right. Um, if it wasn't that and it was just a natural event, I'm sure that everything would be left to run its course. And those killer whales may or may not have had their eye on that that humpback they were just in the area oh. it may have been coincidence or it may have been hang on a second we've got an opportunity here here's a breakfast um, that's, yeah that's what... <laughs> a big breakfast for sure that's what i was thinking i had this image of them kind of hanging around the outside going it's all right well we'll just wait you'll get you'll get tired we'll come in we'll clean up <laughs> hey so if people wanted to see you know we apart from logan's beach where people know if people want to see this kind of you know um closer to Melbourne, and you talked about 13th, are there other places on shore where you can get a good, um, you know, you might get a good um, view of some whales? Absolutely. This week and last week, there's just been pretty much daily reports of whales passing by the Mornington Peninsula ocean beaches. So any one of those beaches with a high ground, Portsea Surf Life Saving Club, Cape Shank, Rye, Gunnamatta, all of those beaches, fantastic for looking for humpbacks. you just got to pick your day. Not too windy, not too rough, and you should get a, a glimpse of a humpback whale as it passes by. And if you're lucky, you might see a southern right whale. Ooh. Hey, just before we let you go, Dave, a bit of a plug for next weekend. Uh, we will be crossing live to you at Phillip Island for the uh, Island Whale Festival. Did I get the name right? You did, absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> the Island Whale Festival next weekend, a mostly free event. Uh, we've actually got an announcement coming up. It hasn't been released yet, but what I, I should say it now. Map to Paradise will be screaming, screening there also. It's one of uh, four or five screenings around Melbourne and uh, the fringed areas. So we're very lucky to have that. We've got Whale Out of Water, Spotter Whale, Indigenous Cultures, Indigenous Drumming Circles, Welcome to Country the whole works it's all happening and there's a lot of uh, obviously whale watching going on at the same time with the boats brilliant and uh, website for people to go and check it out and plan their weekend next weekend www.islandwhales.com.au you'll find the full program there all the events are mentioned and please do visit Rusty Water Brewery to check out our whale of a nail it's delicious <laughs> whale of a nail I love a little beer based plug at the end <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Thanks so much, Dave. It's been awesome catching up with you and uh, looking forward to next weekend already. Always a pleasure, guys. You have a fantastic day. Thanks for having us back. Always a pleasure for us too. Thanks, Dave. Catch you soon.
Bye for now. Bye. Bye for now. Cheers, Dave. Dave Dunley there, Killer Wales Australia. They are everywhere. Yes. Kent was right. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably walk out here and then we went to Nicholson Street. Hey, I've got a quick surf report. Um, this is from uh, Gordo from the Rock Dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Rock Dogs have set the bar for their post-season trip. Gordo's in uh, Indonesia <laughs> on a surfing safari. That's how far you have to go now to get good waves today. But the good thing is at least he's still talking to you. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, you no, know. We're, we're, it's all point, a bit different you know. these days. We're, we're all part of the same family. Um, it says, tell Dr. Surf's, Dr. Surf's not in, but we're telling everyone listening, we just copped 12-foot swell for the past two days, ended up surfing on the protected harbour of Jimbaran. Turns out quite an amazing little left and no one's surfing it because it doesn't exist outside of a massive swell. Wow. Thanks, Gordo, from the Rock Dogs. You've just uh, issued your first surf report, which I think qualifies you to play for the Megahertz oh, next year. Oh, there was strategy in that, Bron. <laughs> <laughs> was it that obvious? <laughs> we should get him in live. We'll do a live yeah, call. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so this was, if you missed the start of the program, this was really just to sit back and have a look at the reasons why we need to be caring for the marine environment. And um, Ocean Protect put out a press release saying, you know, if you're ever in the situation where you need to kind of answer the question, we all know intuitively that we should be caring about the marine environment and doing what we can to protect and restore it. But if you're but asked why? why, what would you say? Well, you know... Because it's great. That's so interesting when you say that. Yeah, why because should I, we do it? Why should we care? I, I, I'd probably go like, just because it has a right to be there and to exist and be, you know, but you kind of go, well, maybe that works kind of for me because I have that connection, but for some people it might not work. That's right. So what are the nine and so reasons? It's, it's one of those kind of, um, what do you call it, anthropogenic, anthropo... Yes. When we can relate... Yeah, we need a connection, yeah. don't we? Yeah. yeah. So we, we intuitively understand why we have to keep the air clean because we breathe it. And if, we, if yep. the air's dirty, then it has a health impact. Same with water, but what does it mean for the marine environment? Six, how about this one? 60% of that air we breathe comes out of the little beasties that live in the ocean? <gasps> Is that one of the nine? I don't think so. Oh, there we go. So I'm going to quickly go <laughs> yeah, through okay, the nine because cool. yeah, I've yeah. got them in front of me. Okay, first one. The oceans affect the weather. So cool. ocean Tick. currents, they transport warm water from the equator to the northern and southern poles. They also transport cold water to the equator. So the system regulates global climate, counteracts the uneven distribution of solar radiation which reaches the Earth's surface. Nice. Number one. Nice. Okay, number two. Uncharted waters... This one falls into this Ooh. category. So according to Greenpeace, the ocean is home to 700,000 species, not individuals, species. And we are yet to discover half of them. So oh, yeah. if we continue to mistreat our oceans, pollute them and so on, we miss the opportunity to discover these species that have actually, many of them have actually lived in the days of the dinosaurs. They've yep. literally existed for millions and millions of years. Um, number three, uh, this uh, is about carbon. So, I quite like this title. Plants are stealing all of the ocean's credit. <laughs> He's talk, they're talking about land plants here. So, many people are aware that plants absorb a third of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, but you might not know that the ocean absorbs another third. Yeah. So, um, uh, the ocean filters CO2 to the deepest depths of the sea. It's then reabsorbed into the rocky bottom. This is a hundred-year process. Yeah, wow. So we really need to be yep. looking after our oceans because yep. they have a very important job to do in terms of processing all that carbon dioxide. 
Um, the fourth um, is about the water cycle. So the water cycle brings life to things on Earth. This is basic stuff that kids learn in primary yeah. school about precipitation. So water evaporates from the ocean, clouds form, come inland, bring fresh rainfall to all pockets. So the water the we drink comes from the ocean. Yes, gets filtered out. The salt stays there. We get the bit. We get the good bit. That's right. Nice. So even a cactus. The only plant capable of living in the desert, it still needs a yearly downpour in order to yep. survive. Yep. Uh, natural disasters. So we have temperatures yeah, rising. We, we get more of them? Yeah. <laughs> Is that the reason? Well, that's no. why we need, to, we need to look after our oceans so we get fewer natural yeah, disasters. Okay, cool. So uh, temperatures rise, more water is evaporated, greater clouds are formed and high winds blow. So that leads to increased chances of hurricanes, typhoons, other major catastrophic weather events. So that's five? Five, six is the fishing industry. Oh yeah, um, of course. So, um, and it's not just the fishing industry. Actually, I, I would um, I would take them to task on this one. It's about plastic, which we've just been talking to Fom about, killing more than a million seabirds and sea creatures every year. Just the presence of plastic is killing mm. more than a million. I reckon it's even higher than that. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon too. Yeah. Uh, so there's less produce in our waters to feed um, the seafood industry. Look, I don't know how I feel about this one. I mean, it's a well, we eat it. Yeah, we do. We <laughs> so, do. You know, like I just. It's a fact. You know, um, it's a good source of protein. Yes. And we, we do, you know, in Victoria and Australia generally, we do it pretty sustainably. That's right. Uh, direct impact on jobs as well. Um, uh, and look, countries rely on the ocean for water. Mm-hmm. So this is number mm-hmm. seven. Uh, so in some, we're talking about desalination. In some parts of the world, fresh water is not an option. So salt water is the only option. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be any good if it's Crap. polluted. Yep. <laughs> Just cut to the chase. That's number Um, seven. Number seven. Number eight is tourism. So tourism is crucial to the economy of many. Oh, yeah. Not just cities around the world. but but this country. Countries. Oh, yeah. um, Think of Pacific Island nations where (laughs) a large part of their livelihood and and income comes from tourism. Um, And the ocean plays a key role in creating tourist attractions. And think, think, think of two of the top five tourist attractions in Victoria. Completely coastal and oceanic. The penguins and the twelve apostles. I thought you were gonna say the giant worm in Lingatha, but oh, that too, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> I love the giant worm. Is it Lingatha? Oh, yeah, kinda near there. Is it? I I thought for a they while. demobilized that. Oh did they? I think so. But oh. anyway. <laughs> Bring back the giant worm. Uh, and the last, and the last one, one is, it, this is very human-centric, it's leisure activities. So, obviously, it's you not just... You love the a, beach. You love the beach. And, it, look, it, it's beyond... Yeah, right. the, there's there's a ton of others. Oh, there's yeah. no mention in here about um, cultural and spiritual significance of the oceans as well, yeah. which is a huge one. The one that I was thinking, you know, the, the carbon sink one equally is the heat sink. Yes. So, you know, we would be in big trouble if we'd never big ocean. You know, in terms of the the heat that we're producing, the the global warming issues would be faster without that ocean sucking it in, which, of course, means we still have to change things. Yeah. You're on Radio Marinara on 3RRR. It is 10 minutes until the doctors, who are, I think, amassing um, somewhere in the complex. They were amassing out there, but now they've disappeared. I can only see my uh, son, Hugh, sitting in the green room, so Hugh's about to do radiotherapy (laughs) on his own, I think. We can keep going. We'll do another hour. Hey, um, Dr Beth Strain is a lecturer in the School of Biosciences at the University of Melbourne and had this really interesting paper recently... um, exploring different views of different sectors on eco-engineering. She joins us live to chat about the findings. Good morning, Beth, and welcome to Marinara. Thanks for having me. That's great to have you in the studio. Now, 
let's start. This was a paper in the Journal of Environmental Management. So it's a scientific paper directed at, I, I, I guess, scientists read it, but also some managers, I suppose, because it's one of those practical journals, you know, in a sense. Um, but let's start with what is eco-engineering? We've talked a little bit about it on the show, but like what is it? What is eco-engineering? Right, so eco-engineering is basically the idea that when you try to create a habitat, so that be, could be planting mangroves or putting in a seawall or doing something like that, um, which is generally for coastal protection, so protecting against flooding, erosion, high waves, storms, etc. You really should be considering both kind of the ecology, so the animals, the plants involved, but also the human element. So what do people actually need when they put these habitats in? So you're talking about protection, but also restoration? I'm thinking specifically about what's just happened down at Blegari with the marina down there. Yeah, so I mean, it is a part of restoration. I guess we tend to kind of think of it as different because in this case, we're kind of creating something that might not have necessarily been there, whereas restoring, we're thinking about moving it back to something that it was in the past. Mm. And are there kind of generally accepted principles? I mean, you mentioned seawall and we've had seawalls for hundreds of years. Are there generally accepted principles of eco-engineering? Do you, you know, build them so they're sympathetic with the local environment or you just stick something there that works? Well, it really depends on what you're actually trying to do, which animal you're trying to help as to what you do. Yeah, so okay. um, basically, if you think you would like... Uh, a kind of community of oysters because you want better water quality you'd probably put in certain things which are sympathetic to the oysters but if you would like another type of animal you probably should be thinking about something else to go in and and so do do we include things like we've, we've talked over the years about fish attracting kind of you know reefs new reefs that that, that are put offshore that we have something victoria is that eco-engineering yeah, yeah definitely right. yeah anything that kind of is built by us but also tries to consider animals really is considered eco-engineering. And now there's a movement in eco-engineering, I'm, I'm going to call it a movement, let's call it a movement, um, uh, where there's the, well I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to make some sides up here, it's probably not, you can tell me if this is true, but it seems to me there's these, the old style engineers who pulled a structure, you know, that's a strong, you know, like civil engineering structure, and then there's the more perhaps ecologically sympathetic engineers who are saying, well let's build a thing that might incorporate the environment in. Is that a kind of an true kind of absolutely okay. i mean that's what we're really trying to push with eco-engineering and i guess the terrestrial equivalent is like our green roofs in cities yeah yeah okay and so this particular paper looked at so this might be replanting mangroves in structured um, environments to keep them in place or it might be we've talked on on the show about the reefs off down port arlington way, haven't mm, we of mm. geelong you know that are put in there offshore so if if you, this particular paper, you then looked at the perceptions that different user groups have of these things and who were the groups that you looked at? Uh, yes, yeah, so we tried to cover a few different groups and these were people who kind of worked in the marine environment. So it could be scientists or coastal managers or it could be kind of fishing groups or um, any kind of groups that worked in the environment. Uh, then we looked at kind of property owners as a separate business and property owners and then we looked at kind of students and general public and kind of you know we had four different groups that we were interested in. And why were you interested in these different groups and, the, and, the, and their, their perceptions of eco-engineering? I guess it was just sort of based around the idea of knowledge so the more knowledge you have generally the more kind of interested you are in the topic and so we wanted to kind of separate out the people who knew potentially a lot about the 
the topic as opposed to other kind of groups who might not have necessarily heard. And so do they all have the same view of eco-engineering? Or well, do the kind of experts, you know, they naturally kind of go, oh, I know my, my, my more about it, I'm more accepting of it? But uh, No, surprisingly, actually, people were generally quite interested in the idea and there wasn't really this huge difference. There huh. were kind of minor differences, but generally people were quite kind of interested in the idea. What was it that... what? was it that people were interested in did you go into that yeah i guess um we kind of went into the areas that they'd like to put it in and we kind of discussed different elements with them as to what they would like to do and i guess in melbourne in particular surprisingly because usually when we ask these questions kind of pollution comes up but in melbourne they were actually really interested in improving biodiversity uh-huh. yeah i got killed old melbourne that's <laughs> fascinating isn't it what any ideas why is it because... Because we're just good people. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, it, is it a priority thing? So people think, okay, our marine environment is actually not bad, Nick, so maybe we need to think about biodiversity. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. We didn't, I mean, because it was kind of an online survey, we didn't really have a chance to kind of go into these in-depth kind of questions. But I imagine that people around Melbourne kind of look at the history of Port Phillip Bay and say, well, you know, water quality is improving generally. Yeah. Um, maybe next biodiversity is kind of an important topic. And what about the other cities? The, so it was Sydney, Hobart, Melbourne, and there was some international stuff as well? Yeah, so we did like a paper on Australia and then we did an international paper. And so the other Australian cities, was it similar? Was was it biodiversity kind of the number one? Uh, for Sydney, biodiversity, but for Hobart, pollution. Huh. Isn't that interesting? That's fascinating. Yeah. Because Hobart, Tasmania, yeah. this impression of this beautiful, pristine environment, but for them, maybe not so. Oh, maybe they'd want to keep it, though. Maybe they think okay. the thing we want to do is reduce the pollution. Well, and, of course, there aren't, in the Derwent, though, there's only one thing, and it's that bloody sea star. Which is so. why you would <laughs> think that would automatically go to biodiversity as yeah, being yeah, the issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess they have quite a historical legacy of pollution, though, so oh, probably yeah, yeah. Um, they're still considering, like, the heavy metals, which are really a problem within their sediment. Okay. How about internationally? Were there patterns? Uh, so internationally, we didn't really ask them about their priorities. We were right. more kind of looking at, you know, whether they knew a lot about their harbour condition as opposed to what it's really like, um, which they seem to and then we were looking at whether or not they were interested in the idea of ecological engineering which actually so australia and americas were more so than europe um, oh isn't yep. that interesting because there's mm. so much constructed foreshore in europe mm. and and effectively it is already eco-engineered in some way yes interesting i mean i guess probably it's that legacy again so all yeah. of these kind of older places asia and europe have kind of a legacy mm. whereas um Australia and Americas tend to be more kind of conservation-minded and driven. And if I remember correctly, one of your subgroups were, for one of them, decision-makers, you know, like people who are managers of, of the system. Did they have a similar view to the scientists or the community as well? I mean, they did. They were sort of slightly more interested in the idea of ecological engineering and had slightly more knowledge. But and honestly, in general, we were surprised to find that people were generally supportive, although they may not have known much about the concept. We're going to have to wrap up in a tick, but you mentioned property owners. So that would suggest to me something about like almost property value. You know, like if you have these, you know, places that are on the... You might have a greater disposition to having... I don't know, more biodiversity out front or cleaner water? Or, did they have a specific view? 
Uh, so we're kind of covering that more in our current survey. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the moment we're doing a survey in Melbourne to look at what property owners and general public think in terms of their priorities for kind of biodiversity, coastal protection, etc. what options they would like to put in. So if you're interested in answering, it's www.ncc.edu.au mangrove hyphen survey okay so if you search mangrove survey yeah <laughs> nccc being the national center for coast and climate um you can fill in this survey okay right. and you want to recruit property owners uh property owners and anyone who kind of uses the coast brilliant wishes everyone yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say it, it, here we are in melbourne i mean we're gonna have to start uh, there's the music in the background yeah. there i find this really fascinating because we're you know obviously with climate change and sea level rise and what's we're going to probably need to consider more construction along our coastlines yep. to maintain our coastal protection so this notion of eco-engineering is going to become stronger right I thanks think beth so. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thanks so much to Fom Sharko and Dave Donnelly for being here today. Uh, quick plug for next week. Yeah. And uh, so next week, Dr. Beach and Cade will be in the house. I will be away, but they'll be crossing live to speak with Dave Donnelly. Uh, the, what's the, it called again? Uh, the um, Osha, the <laughs> Island Whale Festival. Awesome. Well done. <laughs> Happy birthday to Sarah Carroll and to my beautiful dad who turned eight. This has been a podcast oh. from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.